Hello, I am Ariel Munafo. And I am Moshe Ferber. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast. The podcast about security engineering. Hello everyone, another episode of Silver Lining Podcast and with me as always, Moshe. How are you, Moshe? Very good. Good morning, Ariel. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And uh, with us, Alex. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hi, doing well. Uh, pleasure to be here, Ariel uh, and uh, Moshe. I know I've been uh, wanting to come over for a while. Great to be here. Yeah, actually, I think for two years we've been trying to get you <laughs> yes, here. Yes, we and, have. Playing yeah. hard to get. <laughs> <laughs> so finally you're here. So let's uh, d- dive in. Uh, introduce yourself, Alex, for a couple of minutes. Of course, uh, pleasure to be here. I'm, uh, I'm Alex. I'm a uh, CISO at RiseUp and I'm 31 from Tel Aviv. Just recently married and uh, great to be here. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank <laughs> I, you. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. So tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background. Of course. So um, I love cloud security and I uh, work mostly in uh, financial services companies. Um, I've been working in a credit card company companies banks um, fintechs my uh, my recent most recent company was was Tipalti where I had at security and I love absolutely everything financial technology cybersecurity cloud security and I also work with the CSA on, on the top cloud threads group with which you're familiar yeah so tell us a little bit about this work I mean I know that you're part of the top threads and a working group I know that you've been part of the some of the research that the cloud security Alliance has been issuing can you tell us a little bit what you're working on these days? Of course, so the uh, Cloud Security Alliance, uh, where we are colleagues, uh, you being the, uh, the head of the uh, Israeli uh, chapter, mm-hmm. um, and I co-chair, co-lead the, uh, the CSA Top Threats. So the Top Threats, the Top Cloud Threats, of course, working group is a research working group where we research cloud threats, cloud vulnerabilities, cloud controls, and most importantly, we devise insights in papers such as the Um, egregious 11 or the um, cloud threat modeling or the cloud penetration testing playbook to help the industry align with best cloud security practices so that cloud technologies can be adopted more securely okay so now you're working on the latest re- research I, I, I recently saw a survey that you're planning to see what are the next threats right I'm not sure when this episode will be released but tell us a little bit about what is going to be the next uh, release. Of course. So the next release um, is a spoiler. Uh, we just <laughs> decided on a name. It's going to be the uh, Pandemic 11. Uh, we have a, a gimmick with names. We try to keep them uh, hip. The last one was Egregious 11, the one before that, uh, Treacherous 12. And so um, why the number? Just, uh, just, a, little, uh, just a little spoiler. We, we always see a, a drop-off after a certain number of, of uh, questions. So how do these surveys work, right? And what is the top threats? It's the top uh, threats, vulnerabilities and security issues that experts in the industry are concerned for. So it is not necessarily a threat. So data breaches, cloud data breaches are not a threat, right? It's more of an impact. But still, we, we go to the industry, go to the, to, the, uh, to the people, to the experts, and we ask them, what are you most concerned with? And then we come up with the data, we analyze it, we align um, controls to it. And so this year, we've had the drop off after 11 years. Um, cloud threats again and I can already tell you what the first one is and it is not data breaches as it has been in recent years we can see that the industry is maturing the vendors have provided technologies the cloud security pro- the cloud service providers 
have you know fine tuned the controls around default configurations of S3 buckets. So the number one is no longer data breaches; it is um, identity, credential access, and key management for a cloud services. And the rest you're going to have to read when it's out. Okay. And the release date is supposed to be? Do you have an idea? We are going for RSA, so that's quite a while from now. Um, I think we are uh, four or five months away, and uh, soon to come. Okay. Right. So, uh, thank you for your contrib- contribution to the community. I know how valuable this is. And um, can, you're currently the CISO for uh, RiseUp. Tell us a little bit more about RiseUp and uh, what do you do there? Absolutely. So, I am responsible for security at RiseUp. RiseUp, we are a... Uh, financial um, services company in Israel, but most specifically, we're aiming to, to help um, Israelis today, Israelis uh, grow financially. So what is RiseUp about? It's really a company with a mission, which is a first for me coming from uh, from banking and from credit card companies. It's a, credit, it's a company with a mission and RiseUp is about helping people grow financially. And what does that mean? RiseUp believes that you need two things for financial growth. Um, one is, you know, safe capability, being confident in your finances and cash flow, bringing in more than you expand, just like in the game, cash flow, you know. Um, and the second is being able to save up. And so those are the two things we tackle today. We help you gain control over your uh, expenses. We connect to your credit card account, your bank account. We pull all that data in and we give you one number. So you're used to Excel sheets. I know I am. Being security, you do security with Excel sheets, right? And so um, RiseUp just gives you that one magic number, which is your cash flow. You got to keep it positive and then you can use that access to build up savings and then you can possibly transfer that into, into assets. Right? And that's what, what RiseUp does. And what I do at RiseUp is I help secure all that enterprise, help build trust with our clients. And uh, we try to do that very, very transparently. And so we're going to have a um, security webinar, my first tomorrow, with, with our customers and our community. And we're going to start being a lot more transparent about how we do things. And I'm happy to take this opportunity to share more on the tech side, because tomorrow it's going to be with our customers and our community is going to be less technical. Okay, okay. so before we uh, dive into the, uh, to how you do this, basically RiseUp is, uh, um, is relying on the fact that we do more and more open banking, right? Can, uh, this is like a buzzword that keeps, uh, we keep hearing when we talk about uh, fintech companies. Can you tell us a little bit more what is open banking and how is it uh, dispersed globally? Absolutely. So open banking is an initiative, a, a government initiative usually, which aims to improve, improve um, uh, competitiveness, services, um, integrations in the industry with initially banks, but also you know credit card companies, um, insurance companies, and more. And what uh, what the issue wasn't with open banking is that traditional financial institutions were not so open with you know innovative players with fintechs and with financial data service providers, which is quite different to fintechs. We'll dive into that in a second. But we can see that Israel is actually a bit late to the party, which is surprising to me. Um, I was uh, I was raised uh, on technology in Israel and always believed that we always led the charge and in innovation there. But actually, uh, Europe and you know the European Union uh, with the GDPR and whatnot, the PSD two, were actually the ones to lead open banking in the world. And they said, "Hey, listen here, banks, you have to open up securely." You have to start supporting, you know, um, OF2 and identity federation protocols, and you have to let other players access the the data of the customer, so that those customers can be served better. They can access um, services that are better priced, 
They can access surfaces that are unique because their data can now be accessed. And so Israel is really um, the, the second, third, fourth player to, to start opening it up. Actually, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that Rise Up had a pivotal role in helping that happen in Israel with um, uh, the Knesset member, Moshe um, Bitan. And just the recent law that passed, Chokka Esderim, that solidified that now you got to go live with the open banking, Bank Lumi, Bank Discount, all the financial institutions, um, rather than later. Well, the intent has been in Israel for a while. We can drill in into U.S. and others. Yeah, so the idea is that the regulators think the data is belongs to the customers, it's not belongs to the banks themselves, so you need to open them up and give them access. If they want to allow some kind of fintech company to do to do stuff with the data, you need to open up and give them the ability to do this freely. I know that bank been trying to block it. They didn't give you the permission to provide password. They didn't provide any open up, open up APIs. So that's the idea. Uh, so I understand in Israel, so uh, it's good to see that uh, there is innovation in this space. Can oh, you, Also uh, just one, uh, mm-hmm. uh, one word, Bank Israel is also working uh, around uh, trying to push the, the, the open banking uh, as much uh, as they can. So uh, I can say a good word for them uh, that uh, yeah, hopefully they will continue. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, so yes. And it's not just the, uh, the Bank of Israel. Actually, um, as a financial data service uh, company, Rise Up, we are to be regulated by the Rashut Lani Arot Erech, by the um, sort of DFS of, of Israel. They're the ones who regulate a lot of the, um, mm-hmm. the stock exchange services and the uh, trading trading companies and they've also been very helpful and very much pioneers of, of innovation in the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you give us some a couple of words about what's going on in the UK, in the United States, uh, in the EU about uh, open banking? Of course, and uh, so so this is interesting because I'm used to looking to to other uh, regions for for innovation, particularly with with finance. But really, the EU, the, United, the European Union, were the ones to to push forward open banking um, with PSD one. I think it was 2008, and PSD two. I think it was 2018. And their statement was pretty, pretty basic. I'm um, open banking banks. You got to open up and uh, let in more competition and better service, um, less expensive services, financial technologies. Um, and then we look at um, the U.S., not surprising, but um, in the U.S., the approach was a lot less centralized. So different states um, regulate their financial services and banking differently. There's um, less um, a national um, direction on that. For example, the New York State um, DFS is a very strict regulator. And even then, um, they're an administrative regulator. They, they say how you got to protect um, your, your financial services, um, the data, um, the, the customers. But they don't say, hey, you got to open up. Mm-hmm. Some of the uh, you save states and, and, and banks are the biggest in the world, and they open up to the degree that they want to, right? So... So Visa and, and Citibank are more out there in terms of innovation, but other particularly regional banks and regional banks in the U.S. are huge. They're bigger yeah. than all of our Israeli banks, right? They usually don't, right? <laughs> um, the Citizen Bank and, and Massachusetts, they serve, you know, probably more customers than our local banks combined, and they, they haven't heard of, of open banking yet. Okay, so it still works to be done, but uh, the EU is probably leading the pack and... Uh as uh, like, like privacy laws in the United States, it started like uh, in one initial uh, initiative in each uh, state, but they probably will be doing something federal later on. So hopefully that will be the case for the financial services. Can you let, tell us a little bit uh, what does it mean to be financial data services? I mean, what type of services 
you give to your customers. So you mentioned cash flow. Uh, um, what do you do with the banks? I mean, what type of data do you collect and what type of uh, information you provide to customers? Of course. Of course. So I've, I've learned in, in recent years that there are, um, you know, fintechs, there are financial, financial companies, um, you know, like banks and, and Finustra. Um, and then there are financial data service providers providers or financial data service companies, which has rise up, right? We do not do payments. We um, do not give you a loan. We do not compete with an insurance company. So we take your financial data, we assess it, and we give you value on top of that, right? So what RiseUp does at its core is help you gain visibility and control over, over your finances, saying, hey, I looked at all of your data. You don't need to do any Excel sheet magic. You are um, out X money a month you're in, Y dollars a month, um, your, your current cash flow is plus 2,000. Good, make it better, um, open a saving account with it, but I'm not going to give you the, the savings or the insurance, right? So financial data services, and that's a new regulated term in Israel, and there's a similar one in, in the UK. We really did not invent that. We were a lot inspired by you know, the Berlin Group and the PSD2, and they have their, their own term for that. It's um, AIS. Um, but for, for us in Israel, it's a financial data service provider. We analyze the data. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so let's dive in. I mean, in order to be a fintech company, you need to build trust. First of all, you need to build trust with the regulators, with the consumers, and with the banks. Let's start with the banks. I mean, you're, you're, you're a young company, you're a startup. You don't have the manpower, you don't have the budget, but still you need to work with the bank. You need to prove them that you can protect their data. How does this work? Absolutely. So um, no surprise there. Banks have their own uh, standard and, and rigid vetting protocols. If you want to work with a bank, whew, good luck, right? <laughs> um, you got to do the vetting. You got to answer questionnaires. You got to have um, um, an ISO or a SOC. And if you don't, uh, you wish you had, right? Um, but there's an upside to all of that. I mean, um, right now they're interested in this innovation. And so they want to help you grow. They're not using it as... As a, as a deal turner, as a deal closer um, to turn you away. So, so you actually stand to benefit from this vetting, right, as a, as a, as a younger company. Although Rise Up being four years, uh, four years old, um, um, 60 strong, bringing a CISO in and investing so much, um, f- working with the banks still pulls you up. So what you experience is, as a company is um, there'll be vetting, there'll be lots of discussions, um, it'll be a lengthy process. We're talking about months, sometimes years. Um, there'll be penetration testing involved, which is great. There'll be an audit involved, which is great for me, right? <laughs> it's free security, basically. Um, and so at the end of the process, you're still both on the same boat, uh, whether they like it or not, right? We very much do. Um, and uh, you reach a state where uh, they vet you for a certain degree of integration, and the vetting grows the more integration or the more data you process together. Mm-hmm. So that's um, a gradual process. Okay. You mentioned questionnaires. I mean, how many of the banks sent you the CCM as a questionnaire or as some kind of form of the CCM? Or we still need to do market education on this niche? Not, you know, um, I, I did not see a CCM yet. Mm-hmm. From, from any bank in Israel, but you know, we don't have lots of bank in Israel. I'm used to seeing CCM um, um, mm-hmm. almost weekly. So um, at the Palti, I used to process you know, about 20 um, VSAs a month, and at least five of them would be CCM. And the ones that are not CCM would be based on CCM or very similar questions. 
Um, and I definitely would like to see the CSA um, um, star program and the questionnaire adopted more. I'm very much used to it. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, maybe I started uh, wrong. I need to uh, first explain what the CCM CCM is a cloud control matrix. It's basically, the CSA is trying to produce one spreadsheet that will be uh, the uh, the foundation for the, those questionnaires. So when you're a SaaS company, instead of giving getting hundreds of questionnaires with different formats, different questions, you they try to direct you into one format, which is better for everyone in the market. Because, the cake, right? Mm-hmm. It's the exactly. cake. It's the questionnaire cake. Yeah, the, the CCM is basically the list of controls, and from the from the list of control, you derive the cake, which is basically a more of a yes and no type of uh, uh, questions and not a, just a list of, of It's controls. a lovely name. It goes down through way better <laughs> than CC. It's a cake. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is Trust with Banks. Tell us a little bit about consumers. I mean, again, you, give, you need to give the consumers some kind of sense of trust because you're providing them access. You, you're getting access to the data. How do you do that? Absolutely. So... Um, I am fairly new to the world of um, B2C, right? Business to consumer. And so this is a very pleasant journey for me. I'm rediscovering a lot about security uh, with regard to, you know, people, people, consumers. And so firstly, we got to remember that trust is a feeling, which I had to rediscover, right? Trust is a feeling. You you could see, you could invest all that money, all that effort into controls and and hardening and an ISO and then um, you'll see an exchange on Facebook. Yeah, I know Yuvalda, the CEO, I trust them. That's it. Like, come <laughs> on, what's this effort for, right? And with that in mind, with that in mind, um, you know, we, we, we believe in our clients and we trust our clients and we don't treat them as, as, as um, um, people who can't process security. You know, they know their concern for data. They know that we should be regulated. We know that we should be regulated. We know they're interested in our security controls. So what do you do to build trust with them, right? Um, first, you have to be very, very um, you know, outspoken. You have to have your security documentation out there. It has to be in, uh, in language that they can understand. Your, um, your community managers and your uh, support engineers need to speak security. So I train them, I devise messaging. I go out to our Facebook on my own and I respond to, to messaging and I build that trust. My CTO does, my CEO, they do speak security. Um, you have to create opportunities for engagement, like our webinar tomorrow where actually community members are gonna come in, they've submitted questions, I'm gonna answer them. Um, you have to show good faith, right? So um, we give them tools, we give them knowledge, we um, allow allow them to to ask us questions um, for their own personal, how do I store passwords? Like it's the most common question I think we see. And uh, it has very little to do with Rise Up. We're not one password, right? We're not key pass. Yeah. And we help them in that end. Sometimes they have their credit card fraud. They have their credit card um, data stolen They and they and swiped in, in hotels. And we help them with that. So you have to show a lot of good faith because trust essentially is a feeling. And, and it's not just about having this control or that standard. We are, however, working towards that end as well. I mean, uh, you got to do both B2C and B2B when you want to be a fintech, and that's one of the challenges. The, yeah. the web- webinar will be in English, Hebrew? Come again? The, the webinar, in which language? It, it will, will be, be in, in Hebrew. Ah, okay, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I recently helped ISACA build their uh, auditor, cloud auditor um, uh, knowledge uh, certification. And, you know, when you build something that people need to learn from. So you have to really define the word trust. So I was really struggling on this. And I found out that there are types of trust. I mean, with the evidence, you work on the evidence-based trust. I ask you if you have a control, so you show that the evidence here is my control. And it's much more uh, 
we, we understand that. We can work with that. But as you said, with B2C, with consumers, it's more of a feeling. It's a, it's a mix of reputation and marketing and um, uh, making, sh- making sure that they think that they can trust you. And it's more like a, and it's a different, very different state of mind uh, with that. So it's a big challenge. And, it is. Uh, trust is not defined mm-hmm. today. There's no research that says this is trust. There's mm-hmm. like one book. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I tackle the same issue and I can feel your challenge. We should mm-hmm. talk about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so and again, working with the regulators, I mean, the big player in this uh, niche, uh, how do you work with them? And so uh, this is really exciting for me. Um, Israel is just uh, enacting its open banking right now. And so um, this week uh, was the due date for uh, submission of comments for the um, if you want to submit a license to be a financial data processor, a fintech with open mm-hmm. banking in Israel, so you have to submit comments. You had the opportunity to submit comments on that. And you saw a lot of the requirements they've had. And so this is where we stand right now. And you can you can understand that they're open to feedback. They're asking for it as they should, right? But you got to know where, where that feedback will be asked for. They have a website. It's not like they go in the news and say, hey, it's happening. No, you got to look for it, right? And um, we we do have a relationship with them as, you know, phone calls and and um, back and forth. So they're very open to discussion. They're, they're working with the, the banking industry, not just with the fintechs, right? So they're, they're facilitating. And so that relationship is very positive. It's, it's, uh, it's not cold. Yeah, like a triangle that needs to work together. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive into the more technical side of uh, things. How do you connect to a bank? I mean, um, you cannot really just uh, you know uh, go to the website and uh, use the password, right? Oh, knock knock in the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish, I wish. I mean, uh, and, and and just connecting to a bank does not mean you stay connected. Trust me. So we have open banking um, being enacted right now in Israel, and so that's a a, a very special time. We've already had you know fintechs and financial service, financial data service providers in Israel. So they were already connecting to banks such as such as Ryza, but we're not the only player, right? Um, and so that implies scraping because APIs are not yet available. APIs will be available in like June. They'll start to be available in like June. And so that involves scraping. That may imply simulating a, a, an application, a mobile application. That may imply simulating a browser. And that implies using user credentials, right? Risky, difficult, implies a lot of trust, a lot of trust. And so you want to work with a bank, you want to engage with them and you want to build trust with them and you want to pass through their vetting protocols. But uh, many, many players, especially young startups, would sometimes, you know, hope over that. And they just build an app, they just push it to an app store, they just um, set up a a web service and they'd start asking um, consumers for their credentials to their bank accounts. Two days later, their imperva web firewall of the bank closes you down, right? And you're out of business and you may have just, you know, done your seed seed uh, uh, raising. Um, what do you do now, right? And so all of that is slowly being pushed to uh, back into history and starting June will have APIs. But however, if you are a startup company or if you're thinking of setting something up in, you know, a different region, which is interesting. I mean, you want to do business where there's a need, right? In, you know, um, in um, Portugal, in um, China, in other places, this is the battle you'll be having, right? And so you'll be, you'll be need to w- be watching out for that. 
Okay, so scraping is uh, is one option, not the preferred one. I mean, security community is also against providing password to everyone. How do you do this securely? Right. So there's all the standard stuff you got to do, right? You have to be uh, implicit about it. You have to be clear about what you're doing and allow the, the customer, the data owner, which is the customer, to make their decisions, you know. And some of our customers, some of customers of other companies decide not to do it, right? And it's perfectly fine. That's what I want. That's what we're about. Helping customer gain more more control of their data, you gotta do TLS, you gotta do you know hardening, you gotta store the secret securely. But because this is such a frowned upon uh, practice, and I agree, right? I don't want to deal with passwords. I want those APIs. I want that oath too, right? Because you have to deal with pass passwords, you have to go one step above. So one thing, for example, that we're doing that we do advise others do as well. In addition to the TLS. We also encrypt the password in the browser using JavaScript and asymmetric cryptography so that even if the TLS is stripped or even if there is some kind of failure on the mobile device or the laptop of the person enacting our, our website and our service, that that password is still secure. And of course, you wanted to go uh, one step farther with how you store that securely, but I think we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah, let's let's focus for a second on the connectivity with the banks, and then we talk about your back backend infrastructure. Absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of uh, times OAuth. OAuth is a standard for authorization on API. Uh, it could be on other places, but for you, I guess the bank is pulling up some kind of an API, and you need to authorize against this API. That's the process. Of course. So the desired state is where you have very little uh, ownership of the authentication of the person, of the data owner, and that occurs between them and the bank, right? Just like you sign in with Gmail, right? Say if you um, you have a um, new Excel website and you want people to log in and you want to save yourself the trouble, what you'd like to do is implement the Google you know, SDK and have people sign in with Google. So the person authenticates against Google. They prove that their identity to Google is the same with the banks. You want to deal with identities as little as you can as a financial services company. Um, and that's, that's what you want to do in Israel. It's going to be a bit different. In Israel, the regulator intends for uh, the financial services company to authenticate the person and then have them authenticate against the bank. So we'll have this double verification. Um, there is still a discussion about that. And what's unique about Israel is that the um, authentication of the company, of the fintech company against the bank will be enacted. It seems like it will be enacted using certificates that are managed by the regulator. Okay. Which is quite unique, right? That was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. And so it'll so be the regulator will build some kind of a trusted afo- uh, um, root trust authority. They will d- produce um, uh, certificates to the to the different fintech companies, and the bank will approve that you are rise up based on the c- certificate signed by the regulator. Absolutely, this is unique. Yeah. This is not the case, say, mm-hmm. in, in Europe, right? So in, in, in Europe, in, in England too, you want to authenticate against the bank and they have an API, they issue that key or that certificate, right? Mm-hmm. In Israel, it looks like our, our regulator is going to issue uh, those certificates, be our certificate authority, right? Mm-hmm. And the bank will be trusting uh, those certificates when we submit um, you know, messages or requests for data signed with our certificate key. Um, and the regulator expects the bank the bank to trust that certificate, but also to implement uh, controls for, say, if that certificate needs to be revoked, 
Okay, so it's interesting because it puts the regulator as an operating uh, body, which regulators really don't like that, but I guess they surprising. Took, <laughs> yeah, they took their <laughs> call. So basically, the um, but in the general scenario, the uh, user need to authenticate to you, need to get some kind of authorization from a bank or to authenticate to there and give some kind of permission to you. The bank understand that RiseUp is the right one because they either got a certificate from the regulator or the exchange certificate with the bank. And this is basically the triage uh, process. I mean, the bank, the customer, and the fintech companies hold some kind of a trust between them, and then you can access the data. That's Absolutely. the idea. Mm -hmm. The banks had a, had a, um, um, an issue, right? They, they wanted little responsibility. And so I think this was part of the settlement of the make it earlier, right? The regulator seems more of the responsibility for the um, certification of the companies, vetting of the companies, vetting of RiseUp were going to be uh, the first or whichever um, um, applicant to, uh, to the uh, uh, certificate for financial service provider. And uh, the banks uh, do their part earlier. Okay, so uh, let's talk. Uh, so I understand the connectivity. Let's talk a little bit about the infrastructure that the fintech companies are using. You're probably cloud-based, right? I mean, uh, as a, a new company, tell us a little bit about the infrastructure. How do you do uh, monitoring? How do you do cryptography? Uh, what does the architecture look like? Of course. So, as a um, an aspiring financial data services company, or even as a fintech, you know, in the past four to eight years. Um, you want to be um, cloud native as to assume the least responsibility for you know operating servers and updating uh, Microsoft SQL 2012. <laughs> oh, but you can't because whatever. And so um, we go uh, full full serverless. We operate um, um, on on containers. We have infrastructure as code, which is something I'm learning now. It's it's pretty cool and it comes with its own set of challenges and its own set of opportunities. Infrastructure as code. Indeed, yes, like Terraform. Okay. Infrastructure as code, okay. Now yes, infrastructure okay. as code. Mm -hmm. And um, our our whole front end, for example, is is entirely uh, cloud service provided. So we use CDN, we use uh, AWS S3 to house our static assets, and we use um, even AWS CloudFront for our um, internet security headers. Right, and so usually I'd have those headers set up in my IAS or in my web server or in another kind of um, application in my stack. But in in the in the in 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 RiseUp and in newer companies, you will have a lot of that non-business logic stuff implemented with a service, and then you can touch on less of the you know attack surface or the misconfiguration service. Mm -hmm. That of course comes with its own challenges. Um, for example, it's it's very difficult to implement infrastructure as code for, for new stuff. While it's easy to redo it, yeah. new stuff, so I could set up a security header in 20 minutes on my own, you know, with, with AWS console, but infrastructure as code, it can take you a day, right? Mm -hmm. For security monitoring, for security monitoring, we have a lot of emphasis on data security and access, right? A lot of trust is implied. And so we treat everything, every security control, every infrastructure decision that impacts security is, is one we have to describe to a client. So I think it was Jeff Bezos and Amazon, they had the, um, the empty chair in the room and that chair is reserved for the client. And so that really is a decision we, we double down on whenever we deal with security, we have to do it up the standard that we feel comfortable enough telling a client about it. 
and hopefully we'll make it simple enough. And so for, for that, being a data and, and um, access-oriented um, or conscious company, we have a lot of monitoring around access, for example, for employees. So whenever anyone access, accesses um, data of a customer, for example, they're giving support to a customer. A customer calls us in and say, hey, um, I have an issue in my app, or hey, I think there's fraud from my credit card, right? So we have a, a mechanism for actually monitoring who, who can access the um, data of that person in our system. Same works for secrets in application terms and in, and in human terms. Um, and of course, there's all the security stuff. We do put a lot of emphasis on, on front-end monitoring and on data access, as we said. Um, should we talk cryptography? Well, um, what I wanted to ask you, basically in the end, all of this OAuth and, and, and magic and all of this relies to the how good you need to keep those OAuth tokens. I mean, this is the heart of everything. I mean, if, if you get access to that, I can access your bank account. How do you do that? Well, my trick for a while has been um, using a separation and two layers of encryption. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy to see it repeat and rise up. Um, and so a good practice is... Yes, to use um, a dedicated secret storage, such as Vault or uh, Kubernetes Secrets or a Secrets Manager or another, right? But then it usually comes um, with the infrastructure management of the rest of your infrastructure. And so your DevOps or your you know, database administrator could have access to it. So what do you do? Even, even though it's, it's a, a Kubernetes Secrets or whichever, right? The DevOps has access to the Kubernetes secrets. Mm -hmm. What do you do? So you want to apply the, the same approach that I like to apply to data security, which is you know application layer encryption. You have a um, an independent um, secret management service that encrypts secrets such as you know um, OAuth application ID secret or um, bank access private uh, private key um, encrypted in addition to the storage in the infrastructure service responsible for it. And that way, you need at least a collusion of two people, two different people, or a failure of two different systems to cause any kind of breach. Mm -hmm. Okay, so basically this is where you achieve a separation of duties. The developers uh, and the operations have access to their, uh, to their infrastructure secrets, but you have another layer of encryption, which is in the application level, and then you store your secret, your, uh, probably the key stored where on a different uh, platform. That's the idea? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. An issue you would often have with, with a younger company is that you know, your, your DevOps person would have access to anything. Yeah. right? And so this is one of the reasons it's very important to put these controls on data and on secrets on top. No. Okay, so let's try, let's try to summarize everything we just learned. I give you a, I give us a, a recap and let me know if you uh, anything else you want to add. So uh, RiseUp is a fintech company, and a lot of fintech companies are relying on the fact that we now have open banking, which is basically means that banks need to open up and provide other companies, other financial services companies, access to the data, so you can so basically the customer can get a better service. In order to do that, you first need to work with the regulators, need to, regulators need to decide how, the, how this uh, new companies will connect to the banks, how they uh, authenticate, integrate, what is the vetting process, I mean, how do you approve them, probably get some kind of a license or a, a, 
authority to operate something like that, you need to work with the bank themselves, prove them that you have the ability to keep their customer secret and uh, to, to keep their customer data uh, and the, everything else. So you need to make sure that they trust you. And of course, you need to work with the consumer. Consumers are used to the fact that they're working with banks with all of the reputation. So again, you need to shift, give them a different mindset. You need to educate the market that, that you're also able to uh, guard the data. So you have a lot of market education to do here with all those terms. And from the technical side, you need to basically build a company that is very resilient. Everything should be cloud native, more responsibility shift to the cloud provider, less responsibility. You need to focus on creating better services. You need to work on uh, separation of duties, monitoring, encryption, basically all of this in order to satisfy the regulators, satisfy the banks. They will be looking for evidence that you can do that. And also to make sure that uh, the customers has a good base to, uh, to trust you. Anything else you want to add? Of course. Um, it's been a pleasure talking and I think this is a great time to, to understate how, how this is a huge new frontier. Uh, fintechs we've had for a while, but financial data services, especially in Israel, is just starting to happen. And so I would love to see more companies doing cool stuff with data securely. And just one, one question about that. If a new CISO to a fintech or financial, uh, financial data services company, what is the tip or the tool that you can give them? So I would look to establish a very good relationship with the community. I'm finding that community is super important to empower me and my role because when you have your, your customers, your community tagging your CEO and asking about security, mm-hmm. you really have very little convincing left to do, right? Yeah. And so that's great. I encourage the community. Okay, great. Perfect. So thank you very thank much, you very uh, much Alex. Thank you very much for your time. It, it was a pleasure. Moshe, thank you very much. And to all our listeners, thank you. And until the next one, bye-bye. Bye-bye.